Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the East Go to 11. Once again, Nathan Bell. Joining me as always, Zach Bartle. Zach, what's going on, man? Dude, I'm holding in my hand a uh, hardcover graphic novel entitled A Million Ways to Die Hard. And <laughs> I am very excited about this. 30 years after the original Nakatomi incident, he's drawn back to uh, the site of the original movie. And oh, yeah, it's going to be cool. Nice, nice. Where did you get that? I got it at Barnes and Noble while I was there, just uh, making sure that every single copy of my wife's debut novel was faced on the shelf. Oh, dude, that's awesome! We've uh, we've got to have her on the podcast talk about the book. Yes, indeed, man. I mean, her dance card's pretty full, but I bet she could squeeze this in. <laughs> I figure you got the connection there. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that'll help us or hurt us, but yeah, definitely <laughs> it'll something. <laughs> it'll do something. <laughs> nice. Well, dude, you know, uh, I know you're uh, in a little bit of mourning here because you were telling me that you have not gotten your reformed busts in the mail yet. And not a bit. Not even a little bit. I didn't even get like their mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even get a coat pin. <laughs> oh, man. But you know what? I mean, it's it's a rough go. We've tried to reach out to Jeff, but, you know, I'm sure he has a million and one things going on, especially this time of the year. Um, yeah, he's got, got 99 problems, and my busts are not one. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully he'll be right on it. Um, hopefully getting into the new year, he'll uh, be – be more sorted. Um, you know, I wonder if they, uh, if they've actually just been, you know, uh, growing a lot faster than they anticipated with some things and, and doing too much right now. And, and maybe that's what he's having trouble with. I don't know. Listeners, let us know. Have, uh, has mission aware been keeping up with your demands on things? Um, it's also possible that because the deal was for, I think five or six episodes, that he's just waiting until all of them are done. He's like, I don't know that this podcast is even going to last another six episodes. So I'm going to hold back. (laughs) Yeah, that could be, that could be fair enough. That could be true. So I mean, after 35, you'd think that it seems like it's pretty, (laughs) pretty solid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, as always, definitely check out mission aware. I, uh, you know, it's funny because I'm kind of in the post, uh, Christmas season buying of things. Um, so there were, you know, a couple things that I'm still looking at getting. I got a, uh, bow and arrow, uh, nice set for Christmas. And so I'm out adding to that. And I was out doing that today. I'll probably be out tomorrow doing that. And, you know, so people are still buying stuff this time of the year, things that they didn't end up getting. And so you could definitely check out mission aware if there's something that you wanted on your list that you didn't end up get getting. Um, so Check out Mission Aware for all your great reform needs. Everybody asked for that. Uh, these go to 11 Yeti mug. And if you didn't get it, just buy it for yourself. You're worth it. You That's are right. worth it. <laughs> you are worth it. Oh, man. So eager to dive right into our topics. But before I do that, I uh, just want to take stock a little bit, Zach. We, we recorded last week before New Year. But we didn't really talk about uh, how Christmas went and how New Year went. So... Just want to talk to you a little bit. How did how did your Christmas end up going, and how did your New Year end up going, dude? Well, the the Christmas was as always a whirlwind. When when you're uh, you know traveling to 
in-laws on both sides of the state and you live in the middle of the state and then you're also officiating services and everything. It's, it's a real, uh, you know, kind of blink and you'll miss it. And then you're going to be exhausted and sleep for 24 hours affair. Yeah. And then, uh, we, New Year's, we all just, uh, stayed at home. We, um, dude, I can hear myself. I wonder, I hope that doesn't wind up being on your, although if it's lined up perfectly, I guess it won't matter. Anyway. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So we, we wanted to stand at home and uh, my kid, you know, he's 10. He was like, I'm going to stay up till midnight. I'm going to see the new year come in. And he did. We turned on, you know, broadcast television and watched, uh, who was hosting it? Uh, Steve Harvey was hosting the the ball drop. And we, we sat there and, and watched it and the ball dropped and we said, happy new year. And my kid looked at us and said, next year, let's not watch this. <laughs> it, it was really just disappointing, man. I mean, they had, um, what's his name? Alan Thick's kid who sings that, like, uh, that song that makes Baby It's Cold Outside seem anything but rapey. I mean, just uh, that, that terrible, um, the one that Weird Al made into a great song about grammar. I don't remember what it's oh, called. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but like, it, there's there's another guy that sings that with him. And uh, I don't remember his name, but I do remember exactly his face. And so that guy's voice was just on, like, an audio track. It was like when somebody yeah. at church is like, I'm going to do an Amy Grant song. And all the harmony and, like, the counter melody sung by Amy Grant is in this track that I'm using. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yes. what are you doing yes. on national live TV doing this? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, it was oh, it was man. terrible, and, and like it just the whole thing seemed just like it was thrown together like a church talent show, like with that much care, and and then it was blasted out to the entire population of the country as if it was a a legitimate entertainment product. What'd you do? So yeah, I mean Christmas was good. It was like you said, a bit of a whirlwind, but not uh, not horrible. We you know got up and. Uh, had a nice relaxing day, nice relaxing morning, kind of did some of the things we normally do. And then that night we went to some friend's house and uh, just had dinner with them and uh, enjoyed, enjoyed some, you know, company there. And then New Year's, we went over again to some different friend's house and we actually really uh, just played games most of the night, played games and did stuff, turned the TV on about 10, literally 10 seconds before the ball dropped and rang in the new year and, that was that was it. So just a lot of time with with friends, which was which was great. You know, that's relaxing, chill. There's no expectations. It's always you know kind of the best best of both worlds there, where you get to see people, but you don't have to host anything. And you don't have to put on a big production for it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So, well, good. I'm glad you had a good good holiday season. Um, ready, ready to get back into things. I, uh, thankfully I have until Monday off, so I'm enjoying some relaxation time. I got a couple video games, so I'm enjoying those while, uh, Joy and my boy are at school. So they're getting up in the morning, you know, seven o'clock and I'm sleeping until 10. So wait, (laughs) why on earth are they not on break? So they actually had the week before, uh, Christmas off. So my school went right up until the 21st. They got out like the 17th or something like that. So 
they uh, they went back on Wednesday. Okay, well, that's fun. Hey, by the way, before we get into our topic, did you see the uh, the pics I posted on our Facebook page yesterday? Yes, I did see a couple of those. You holding out on us, man? <laughs> oh, dude, that's that was funny because those got um, who reposted those to somebody reposted them to our uh, to our Facebook page. No, that that was me. I put them on our Facebook page. Oh, oh, I thought you put them on Twitter. No, no, I, I, I never can remember the password for Twitter. Oh. <laughs> numbers involved, and I'm always doing the wrong numbers, so I just, you know. <laughs> That's kind of like me tonight. I'm going through, and, you know, you and I are not recording in our typical fashion because we're still having technological issues. So I'm going into Zencaster, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you already have a Zencaster account set up. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, what was that game from it's it's a, a music album it's like uh, maybe folk music or I don't know some kind of twangy country thing I don't know but whatever it is it, it seems to be a side of you that we haven't seen before I know and it's probably a side that you never will see <laughs> <laughs> I, the CDs were only three bucks a pop at uh, there's a cool uh, on campus there's a cool record store called flat black and circular and they sell a lot of nice. used CDs and stuff. And uh, yeah, my, my wife got, get this, man, sometime in 2016 or early 2017, somebody went yep. into my wife's car and took like a giant CD wallet full of CDs. Can you believe oh, that? Really? And like, why, why even bother at this point? But someone did. Yeah. And so uh, her Christmas list was largely like CDs that she already had at one point that she wanted back. Gotcha. <laughs> it was... I was uh, skulking around in these used record stores, and yeah, I came across Nathan Bell, the the <laughs> sultry sounds of Nathan Bell. That's right. Oh man, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking at that right now, and it looked like. So I didn't look too closely at it, apparently, uh, or clearly, since I thought it was like a board game or something. It looks like the cover is kind of <laughs> Nathan like Bell, Monopoly. the board game. <laughs> Do not pass 11. (laughs) Oh man, dude, that was hysterical. Do not, do not, uh, do not pass Zencaster. Do not collect two (laughs) theologian busts. You cannot get your name and password back. You forgot it. (laughs) Oh man. So we've got, you know, it's funny. We talked about last week things we wanted to do in the new year. And, you know, we we definitely want to be more active on social media, which I have not been doing yet because I don't really consider the new year starting for me yet. I'm going to wait till I get back into school for that. But you you posted some things on there. And then we got a response from our good buddy, Jared, um, who uh, definitely uh, is keeping us um, keeping us a priority. He's keeping uh, the T in these go to 11. Um, and so, uh, you know, he had uh, asked us if we could talk about how do you recognize uh, abuse in the church? And then kind of a counterpoint to that, when do you leave the church? Um, if you notice it, if you see it, what is the differing levels and degrees Um, And I think it's going to be important that we, you know, nuance 
um, a lot of this stuff because I think that there's a lot of different uh, things that can go on in terms of abuse in the church and when you should leave and when you should stay. And I think, you know, that would be a huge thing that we want to put out there, you know? Um, so I think so we don't, you know, end up going down um, so many different rabbit trails with things. I think, you know, first of all, in uh, Zach, you can um, chime in on this, but, you know, any type of um, sexual abuse that goes on in the church needs to be, uh, reported immediately. Uh, and to me, depending on the level of abuse and where that level is taking place, um, it, it might be a good idea to distance yourself from that church. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Zach? Well, I mean, when really part of a, a responsible church and a, and a non-abusive setting is already having safeguards in place as many as possible. To, yeah, I mean, there is a there's a certain. I mean, abuse and neglect are are always seen as two sides of the same coin. Whether we're talking mm-hmm. about CPS coming in to take someone's kids or look into a situation or whatever, and if there's yeah. neglect, and, and this is really easy. I mean, we are, I I've a number of times been involved in churches where we go, man, we're just trusting everybody because we know them, and that's neglect. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't just trust everyone because you know them because you may not know them. Uh, and, yes. and even if you know them, you know, you can know the lovely side of someone's, you know, the, the little bit that sticks up the, the, the iceberg that sticks up above the water, but not see the really dark stuff, you know, that's rooted in their own story of being abused and all this other stuff. So, you, you know, you've got to, you've got to have background checks. You've got to have policies in place for more than one non-related person together uh, with kids at any given time. You got to do this stuff to not do it is it's neglectful. So, I mean, I I don't want to call that spiritual abuse or something. You go into a little country church and, you know, Maud has always just watched the kids uh, and, and no one, of course, no one's ever thought to, to give her a a legal background check. I'm not going to say it's an abusive or toxic church or something. I'm going to say it's, part of your responsibility as someone there to lead them toward not neglecting that. And yeah. I mean, if, if you just pull your plug and leave when that kind of thing happens, that church is just going to stay like that. And eventually if you know, it hasn't already happened, somebody's going to spot that this is a, a great soft target. They're trusting. And, you know, a lot of times you read these stories, people have bided their time and you know they'll come somewhere and they, they don't immediately go where are the kids let me have the kids no they, they wait three four five years uh and wait to be asked you know they're they're yeah. methodical about it so you don't want to you want to you want to leave a situation where you could stay and help prevent that you know where you could stay and make things better um and i think that in general is a rule uh we want to follow if you can stay and you think there's hope of making it better because all the way around, there is no perfect church, and if there was one, you showing up would make it no longer perfect. So, right. you know, re- remember that. And now the flip side of that is if there has been, you know, not the sin of omission, of not properly, um, you know, guarding against this kind of thing, but there has been the sin of commission. Someone has done something um, 
whether it's a pastor, you know, involved in unethical and inappropriate and immoral, uh, emotional, uh, relationships with, with women he's counseling or whether it's, you know, something shady going on with kids or, I mean, we just had this thing, um, the, the very prominent guy in the independent fundamentalist movement who, uh, had actually had a physical relationship with a, a teenage girl and what happened? Well, they swept it under the rug they said, oh, no, no, say you're sorry and then get out of here and go somewhere else. And we don't want to all the blowback that will come because of this. And we don't want to see, you know, one mistake ruin this promising minister's career. It's like everything you've just done now uh, is a further um, nail in the coffin of your integrity. It's a, a continued indictment against your church as not being, uh, you know, a uh, you can't say that you, we're going to meet in the sanctuary anymore. Sanctuary means a, a safe place, you know? And, right. and so, yeah, I agree with you where, where there, if there is something that should have been reported and was in any way, um, kind of smoothed over, um, you know, there's so much of this has been going on. Thank God we're in an age right now. Uh, I, I feel like we're in an age right now where there's an awful lot of just like kind of screeching and, and hysteria about about things and a lot of presumption of guilt, but I think one area in which the kind of we will we will um, move quickly to condemn one area and there are several, but one area in which that has been a huge blessing is just to blow a bunch of light into churches that have been retreating into darkness, you know. And I mean, yeah. the fact that the the Jesus himself uses the metaphor of a lamp for the church, you know, a source of light. And now when it's the world through kind of a cultural movement that has to start shining light into our darkness, that's not yeah. good. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I think if you're somewhere and you recognize that Jesus said that the eye is the lamp of the body. And, you know, if the, if the light inside of you is darkness, how great the darkness. And if you recognize you're in a church where, where it should be a source of light is trying to kind of keep things hidden in the dark I don't think there's any biblical reason why you you should have to feel obligated to stay. You you know you can you can get out of there and distance yourself from that. In fact, uh, when you're yeah. reading in in the book of Revelation, uh, we read "Come out of her." Uh, not too long after we read about some of these churches where the the lampstand is about to be removed from his presence because of you know very worldly stuff and licentiousness and wickedness and people just kind of being okay with it all. You know so. Yeah, where, where you see that kind of stuff, for sure, that seems like a almost a no-brainer to me. Um, at the point where you say, maybe I could stay and have a good effect, but has this whole thing been kind of compromised? I think you're at this point, it's up to your conscience. If you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm called to stay here for another 20 years while we slowly in this church, after having purged out um, the the cause, the, the, the impetus in our leadership behind... Um, covering up and covering over after, after having get rid of them, I, I'm going to stay for the next 20 years and slowly rebuild our reputation. Good for you. If that's what the spirit's calling to you to do. But if, if you say to yourself, I, I can't be fed here. I can't really, uh, you know, build here. I can't contribute here. I I've got to get somewhere else. That's not tainted by this. Go for it. You know, there there's, there's yeah. no biblical reason that says, uh, you have to, you have to stick around uh, especially when we have 
so many warnings, <laughs> Jesus's warnings against those, right. you know, who, who oppress and take advantage of uh, people who are, who are feeling weak or who really are weak, ch- the children, especially, man, I, I would, I would run before the lightning bolts come down and burn the place to the ground. You don't want to be in that sinking ship. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my two cents on it. And, and granted, I want to just caveat. I had all of uh, like a minute and a half to, uh, get my head around the fact that this was our topic tonight. So if right. I say something and I get two thirds of the way into it and go, eh, maybe not cut me some slack yeah. and give me some grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, what you're saying is, is so hugely important. You know, there's, there's going to be some people um, who, I, I mean, I remember, you know, different points in, in time in my life where I was working with people um you know, in a job scenario who have, who had been abused, um, by the church, you know? And, and so if I found myself in that kind of church setting, I think I probably would have been more keen to have up and left simply for the sake of the relationship that I had with this person and to be able to point and say, yeah, you know what, the, these people were corrupt, but you know, I don't support that. Clearly scripture doesn't support that. Um, you know, or like you were talking about, you know, getting rid of those people and being able to say, you know, we didn't want, we don't want anything to do with them, um, in this context at this point, you know, because we also, you know, want to be careful because I've heard, you know, people, um, Christians, you know, talk about the fact of, you know, abuse like this happening and then completely writing off people like this forever. And it's like, well, you know, we, we've got to remember that grace still abounds. And so, if you know, if these people come to repentance and, you know, as the body of Christ, we need to be willing to to love them as Christ loves them, um, you know. And so it's it's such a tough um, thing to deal with. And you were talking about, Zach, just the blessing of, you know, this stuff coming to light. And I think that is a huge blessing. But at the same time, I think a lot of times we forget that, you know, there is still grace and that if these people have, you know, sinned, uh, particularly in this way, in in abusing their power in the church, that, you know, if if they repent, then as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be willing to, you know, love them. That doesn't necessarily mean, you know, you put them back in that position, but that means that you love them and you know, we, we move on in, in the grace that's been shown us. Yeah. And when I say remove them, I, I don't mean like, uh, you know, send them sleeping with the fishes or necessarily saying, uh, you're out forever from you know, right. this church or the church Catholic or whatever, but saying, yeah, rather, uh, we have to remove you immediately from, from leadership and then begin right. a, a discussion. And, and it may be a real, real long one about whether or not you'll ever actually be qualified to and, and depending on the the gravity of the abuse, it may be a situation where this person's never going to again be be qualified to be in in church leadership. And, and right. the fact that the church has always allowed for people to to take such a brief respite and follow the world in this way and say, "Yeah, I'm going to kind of just disappear for a while till it blows over and everyone's mad at someone else." Then I'm going to poke my head in and I'm going to you know, do a little guest preaching at a couple of conferences. Then before you know it, I'm back in the saddle and I'm rolling. And I mean, this is a little off topic from, from uh, the topic that 
that uh, Jared floated our way, I think. But I, I think we need to just recognize that's going to, in in the world's eyes, that's that's a lateral move from covering something right. up. It's it's saying let's yeah. all just agree to pretend that we covered it up and and no one knows about it. I don't. I mean, yeah. I'm not over here saying uh, Driscoll is uh, completely off track. You know, pastoring another church after the collapse of Mars Hill. You know, having waited, I don't know, like a couple of years or whatever. Because in my mind, what he did, well, it was bad. Um, and I don't know how well he owned it. I didn't. I didn't really follow a lot of that stuff. I felt like it was. It got to the point of kind of controversy porn, and that stuff just wrecks my spirit. But like, right. Um, the, the plagiarism thing, the like ultra machismo thing, which was all, all very much tied to being maybe a little too immature in the faith when he started the church and, and he's real zealous and, and uh, you know, the whole stack of bodies behind the bus, all that kind of talk and stuff. It, it, at this point you go, well, here, you know, you're, you're much older. And mm-hmm. if you have, you know, elders who are willing to hold you accountable I'm not in a position to to talk about it, though. If we're talking about someone who, you know, had a sexual relationship with a, a youth group member, and three or four years later they're starting another church, uh, no. I mean, I, I feel like at that point the community in which the new church is located has the responsibility to together in one voice say we're not going to tolerate this. This is uh, un- absurd. So right. it, it, there's degrees, you know, and and. That that person who did that that heinous thing uh, is certainly not beyond the grace of God. But when you read, you know, the qualifications for elders being thought of, well thought of by outsiders, uh, above reproach, some of these things you once you've burned them, they can't be unburned. Uh, and and you know, when we talk about the grace of God, particularly someone who's come out of a really rough pre-salvation situation and they, you know, they talk about their sins and we say, wow, God really saved you from a lot and put them in leadership. And then when they sin again, you say, okay, at this point uh, you've shown that your, your salvation didn't have the, the effect that it should, which is to change your um, affections. And we're, whether we're not going to say you're not saved, but we're going to say you you need to not be front and center. And, and, and right. so, yeah, when, I mean, and when you talk about abuse in the church and when to leave, I feel like these are these are pretty pretty easy uh, topics. When you get into levels of you know uh, much more subtle things, then you get a lot more shades of mm-hmm. uh, nuance and and a lot more case-by-case type situations, I think. Yeah. Well, let's actually kind of drift in there for a few minutes here because I think, um, you know, uh, fundamentalism can be a form of abuse where, you know, the pastor in a position of authority is kind of holding that over the congregation, saying these are the things that you should and shouldn't be doing, um, I mean, I'll use, I'll use my grandparents' church as an example. Um, you know, for years they said, you know, uh, you can't go out and watch movies, you can't play cards, you know, and, and all these things um, that were associated with worldliness that really 
you know, I mean, and now the church looks on them and, oh, we were, you know, everybody's trying to distance themselves from that take on things. Not everybody. <laughs> well, that's true. Uh, and, and, and I think that's to my point of, of what we're going to talk about. You know, what do you do if you find yourself in a, in a church in a situation that, you know, the, the pastor is, is preaching these things and teaching these things that aren't scriptural? Do you, do you stay in the church and try to work to affect change? Or do you simply leave? Or, you know, I mean, what, what do you do when a level of what I would consider abuse is going on? Because I think, I think fundamentalism can be abuse. Um, I don't think always. And I think uh, many times, uh, particularly in the reform community, what we look at as fundamentalism really uh, isn't always fundamentalism. It's, it's conviction. It's what, you know, churches agree to and, uh, you know, put forth in, in certain things. But but what do we do with things like that where, you know, the the will of a particular conviction is imposed on the congregation? Yeah, and I don't like that word fundamentalism uh, because, you know, it, it comes from a good thing, a very good thing, um, which is uh, trying to reclaim Christianity from the liberalizing tendencies of the turn of the 20th century when everything from the deity of Christ to the, the resurrection. Are you there? Okay. I heard a weird sound. Um, (laughs) Everything from the deity of the Christ to the virgin birth to the, the bodily resurrection of Christ was being rejected. And so the, the five fundamentals were put down in two volumes that called the fundamentals. And those who held to those were the fundamentalists uh, and, and, you know, from the very beginning, they were kind of, uh, demonized for being too narrow. Um, and of course, over time, those who continued to wear the, the label often were the, the very strict. Um, but you know, w- when we say there, there are rules that can bind the conscience because they're preached from the, the pulpit and equating that kind of thing with, with some kind of spiritual abuse, would you say the same thing of Spurgeon who, I mean, he preached again and again against going to the theater. He thought that was very worldly. Um, and he told his people not to do it. Just, just avoid that, you know, and, and, you know, earlier in this century, not this century, it's the 21st century, Zach, earlier last century, uh, you had, uh, you know, don't, don't go dancing or, you know, going, uh, you know, to a, a club of some kind is, is very worldly. And, I think a lot of these things are, are culturally um, determined. You know, if if the world at large sees this as being a, a associated with a sinful lifestyle, then doing it can harm your witness. Doing it can actually hurt your sanctification because you're putting yourself into a situation where sinfulness is is accepted and and celebrated. And so, if it's cultural. Then maybe you know it's it's not the kind of uh, fundamentalism that that can wreak havoc on someone's understanding of grace for Spurgeon to say that in the 19th century, and maybe it's not you know the same thing for someone to say it in the Deep South right now if there's a geographically a place where that's still the case. You know, you know, culture is is a funny thing; it, it changes and and uh, expectations change. And frankly, I think the church also is quick these days to adopt the values of the world 
And, and a lot of that uh, is under the guise of freedom, even when it's not, you know, actual Christian freedom. I, I don't know. I, I would say if you can't sign on to kind of the de facto um, lifestyle statement, whether it's expressed or implied at a given church, don't join it to begin with. Right. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are, these days are coming out of fundamentalism because they were raised in it. They didn't have a choice. And now they're saying, oh, I had such a horrible upbringing. I wasn't allowed to, you know, heck, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs. I wasn't allowed to watch He-Man because it was, uh, you know, new age and, and you know, had witchcraft in it. And, and the Smurfs had, um, you know, Gargamel over here making spells and stuff. And that's fine. Better that than to be allowed to watch anything I want. I had friends who were watching Freddy Krueger when they were eight years old. Um, right. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant to, to lump that kind of stuff in to, uh, an abuse. Well, can you give me an example where like you see the, the abuse and then the effects of it? Um, because I'm sure there, there certainly is an extreme at which point that happens, but can you suss that out for me? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, I think, well, what, what you were talking about, let me just hit that real quick. Um, you know, I, I think there is a difference though, between, um, between your parents making a standard in the house and a pastor making a standard in the church that doesn't necessarily line up with scripture. Um, you know, I mean, there were certain things that I wasn't allowed to watch in my house either. Uh, you know, and as an adult, I've, you know, watched some of those things and some of those things I haven't watched, you know? And so to me, that's part of the process of, you know, parents to a certain extent, you know, knowing what, um, you know, what's appropriate, knowing their children, what their children can handle and can't handle. And, you know, I mean, kind of leaving that freedom within bounds up to, you know, parents to make decisions on what, what their kids can and can't watch, you know, but to me, um, a pastor saying, and, and I would even say, you know, Spurgeon saying, you know, Hey, you shouldn't be going to the theater. Well, why is it because your perception of it is that this is what the world's doing and it's wrong and it's evil? Um, because really, if if our goal is to be you know preaching the gospel, um, you know, I mean, to me, one of the one of the biggest revelations that I had was you know when I started drinking that the world could care less if me as a Christian drank or didn't drink that that they weren't even thinking about that. They weren't even thinking in terms of, you know, oh, this is wrong or this is right and you should or shouldn't be doing it. Um, that it was imposed by the Christian community whose perception of it was wrong. And to me, there's a difference there in, in a, a perceived wrong versus an actual wrong. Yeah, there, there is that. Um, but I mean, first of all, as a, as a pastor, I'm not just called to preach the gospel. I'm called to preach the whole counsel of God. And, and there, I mean, there is plenty in there that, that is cut and dry that the, the world doesn't want, and the church in many sectors doesn't want to hear, um, because freedom in many places has become license. So, I mean, if I say, and there are, there are things that are, you would have thought a generation ago were so obvious you don't need to articulate them. But when I stand up and say a, a Christian should not be watching porn, right? Now, I'm, I am binding the conscience of my people. 
And they are over here going, well, hold on. What if I watch it with my spouse? What if I just watch it because blah, blah, blah. What if this, what if that? And there's all sorts of, no, that, that's the sin. You can't watch this without, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say, you know, people like Dobson or whoever who, who went through that period of, of research, that's, that's the exception that proves the rule. You can't watch this stuff without lusting. So right. I'm going to say, yeah, I'm binding your conscience. Don't do this. At this point, I mean, we all know uh, about Nadia Bolz-Weber recently saying, oh, there should be ethically sourced porn, lots and lots of real hip young evangelicals, quote unquote, saying, oh, yeah, no, that's fine. That's good. And, and so there's always going to be a push toward uh, more and more license, more and more lascivious living, and, and for the church to take a stand and say, no, man, don't, we, we as Christians don't do this. Um, running the risk that maybe two generations or a hundred years from now, people might look back and go, man, I can't believe that they made a big deal out of that. And maybe they're right to do it, and maybe they're wrong to say that. Maybe the, the whole thing just kind of slippery sloped, and now sin is okay. It's cool, it, it, you know, in the in the eyes of the church. Either way, I, I'm going to err on the side of grace as far as not condemning people, but I don't think it does a disservice to grace to be very clear about what Christians should and shouldn't be doing, even, yes, in their private lives, if I believe Scripture can can back me up. You know, when I get into, um, you know, should I... I, let's say, should I go to the theater? I know there are reasons Spurgeon said that. I don't know if, you know, at this point, if we could dig him back up and reanimate him, he would be embarrassed right. by that, or he would be embarrassed by the fact that the church no longer cares. You know, you're going to watch the same movies and plays that the world is. Um, either way, I, I think the fact that it's rooted in principle and and conscience um, it doesn't necessarily make it less biblical because he's the pastor of that church. And if that church doesn't want that kind of preaching and, and, and doesn't feel like, uh, you know, this guy should be able to bind the, well then get rid of him. But, but he's the pastor of that particular congregation. And when he sees you know, a, a danger for, for all I know, the, the plays that you went and saw in, you know, 19th century uh, London in the vicinity of the, the Metropolitan Tabernacle were never of any cultural value. They were all just, you know, glorifying wickedness. I, I don't know. But, but at, at that point, I'm going to just defer to him and say, this is your congregation. Preach what, you know, God has placed on your heart based in Scripture not just based on whatever, you know, visions or whatever you're having over here and, and back off. Now, at, at what point does that become problematic for the church at large? Never. But if you're under that kind of preaching and you're, you're having a hard time accepting God's grace because all you're hearing is that, you know, we, we, there's a, there's a theological term, adiaphora. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of uh, things that can be, um, either either way, they can be argued for. They're, they're disputable matters, right? And mm-hmm. they're not essential to the faith. And, and Paul has an awful lot to say about this stuff. 
and on both sides of the, the fence, you know, from, from the point of view of the person who does go to the theater, don't, you know, stick it in the face of the person who doesn't because you're going to cause them to sin. And the person who doesn't go, don't condemn the person who does. Now, how does that factor mm-hmm. into one of these people being the pastor? Dad, I don't know. <laughs> well, but, but to me, doesn't, doesn't that say a lot that, I mean, and I mean, we've talked, um, you know, at length at, you know, uh, our, our views on Spurgeon and, you know, I mean, uh, going all the way back to when Greg was on, you know, I mean, he's been quoted and talked about, uh, you know, at length. Isn't it okay just to say, you know what, the guy was wrong in this area. This is what he did, but he was wrong, and it's okay that he was wrong. If I thought that he was I mean, necessarily wrong, I don't know that he was. And that, what I'm saying is that that was a call that he made as the pastor of that particular group of people. And so I'm not going to armchair centuries later, uh, you know, quarterback, Monday morning quarterback the thing and say, oh, he should have said this differently or done this different. I, I don't know. I, I, I have no idea. And, and, you know, he was a better pastor than I am. I know that. And I don't, I don't know why I would assume that, that my approach to something would be better than his. Uh, other than to say that it, it seems legalistic, quote unquote, to me right now, but I'm basing that then on a, something subjective, like a feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, but okay, let's, let's move into more uh, current times where, you still have many churches that would denounce drinking at all so much so that, you know, they talk about the beverage that was used in the Bible was grape Uh juice. You know, they flat out deny what scripture even says Um, in order to, you know, bind people to a set of rules and standards. um, Wouldn't it be better for the pastor to say, you know what, this is between your conscience and, and God and, uh, you know, this is what scripture says and not trying to interpret it in their own way, but just clearly read what scripture says and talks about and, and just say, you know, this is a matter between you and God and you need to, you know, you need to work through it as the pastor. Do you need to guide and govern everything your congregation does? Yeah. I, I mean, we're, we're getting into very different traditions, right? And, and, you know, what is the the biblical approach to traditions that, that differ fundamentally? I mean, if there is a church that, that condemns, and I mean, they're in my town, they're in your town, they're everywhere, that condemns drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I mean, there are guys who will make the case about the oinos, uh, you know, being not, not grape juice, but way, way less alcoholic, uh, that know more about the chemistry and more about the Koine Greek than you and I put together. Um, even though probably the, the Koine Greek's more in my uh, field of expertise and the chemistry's more in yours. Um, mm-hmm. But but I mean, like, my, my point is, if you're the age where you can drink, you're also the age where you can choose your own church. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, if there are people who are all content together to say, we're going to hold each other accountable, we, we do believe that this is wrong and we're, we're not going to have alcohol in our homes, where's the harm in that? Like, I mean, who, who's being abused here? Um, unless we have maybe a spouse who doesn't want to belong, but kind of is forced to, or something to that effect. Uh, but I mean, it, 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 it again, that, that creates a, 
a place maybe you could go if you were you had struggled with drunkenness in your past. You have what Paul calls the former associations. Now there's a place that you can go where there's not going to be a, hey, it's okay, we're going to meet for a Bible study at you know BW3 and have a few beers, and I'm going to be tempted. Well, you know, there's there, the number of different kinds of churches, I don't see it as necessarily a result of sin. Like the schisms that lead to so many different kinds of churches often are rooted in pride and sin and, and factious uh, sectarian thought. But the fact that there are so many different kinds of churches, I, I think is often a blessing. It's redeemed. Um, I had some guys over for, for cigars for my church uh, the other night. Uh, last night was it last mm-hmm. two nights ago, and uh, we we sat and smoked. And uh, there was one of those guys. I thought I don't know if I should invite him because I know he the things that he smoked before he got saved were not just mm-hmm. an aesthetic experience, right? They were they were to get him high. Uh, and and it, it it took a while before he kind of he kind of said, "Is it all right if I come when you guys have a cigar? I, I really don't believe this will be a problem. I've I don't." You're, you know, long for this anymore. I, I don't, you know, I don't even smoke cigarettes, none of this. So we all got together, but there was a guy present who, who's a recovering alcoholic. And so I made sure that the little bar we have in the smoke room was closed. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. and that's, that's, you know, the taking one person at a time and not making your brother stumble. But what if this becomes kind of a, uh, whole congregation where their conscience, I mean, they're, they're drawn to this church for a reason and maybe their conscience, maybe even to put it in scriptural language, maybe their consciences are all weaker. There's never a a point at which it says, you know, make your brother stretch. So he becomes one of the stronger. It it just tells us not to cause them to sin. Sure. See, I think, I guess the, the larger issue that I have is is the improper teaching of these Dude, things. we're disagreeing. To me, Mark it down. I know, right? Mark it down and... <laughs> uh, the first one of the new year. <laughs> Maybe the first one ever, really. <laughs> Except for that one time where I was like, Nathan, no. Oh, wait, I see what you're saying. I, I, re- I didn't read the article. Yes! <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, so I guess to me, the the bigger issue is is teaching something is sin when it's not. So let's take the whole drinking issue. It's not typically taught in those churches as a this is a conscience issue, and so together as a church we are unifying our conscience right. or whatever in kind of the, the format you're talking mm-hmm. about. It's it's. T- preached and taught as right, the sin. emphasis is on the drunkenness being a sin which it is and therefore the vehicle of drunkenness is something to be just shunned and you turn and run in the other direction right and so therefore it's not just it's not just that drunkenness is now a sin it's it's drinking becomes a sin having a drink now becomes mm-hmm. a sin and so the you you have an improper teaching of the word of god at that point. right but they would say this is a perfectly proper teaching. And what I'm saying is because it's adiapha, because it's a, a, a disputable matter, that, that's not any reason for us to break uh, fellowship with each other. That's not any reason to call out a church as being, you know, in some way heretical or abusive. It's, it's a matter on which good Christians differ. And, and you know, there, there's never been... You know the, the the debate rages on, so to speak, and I, I just don't understand why 
you, you know, we, we say we're right. They say they're right. We all of us hopefully say this isn't a salvation issue. This is a secondary thing. So, you know, they're over here going, well, their teaching is wrong. When they say, um, you know, drink in moderation and no get drunk, why are they leading people into temptation? You know, what if someone has one drink too many and they get drunk? You've led them down into sin. So, you know, it's a, anytime you have a disagreement, both sides think they're right or you wouldn't have a disagreement. So the fact that we're, you know, able to say, look at the text and say, yeah, clearly Jesus drank alcohol. Um, clearly there's never a time in which scripture blanket condemns the drinking of alcohol. Uh, and, uh, and that is, you know, the most painfully obvious thing in the world to us. It's equally painfully obvious to them that we're, that we're just, uh, you know, playing semantic games and trying to have our cake and eat it too. I don't know that to, to me that you, you become the fundamentalist. When you say, I'm going to equate that with abuse, right? When I'm going to take this secondary issue upon which Christians differ and, you know, make it uh, a malpractice of, of pastoral ministry. Well, let me, I mean, let me ask you then. So you have, you know, uh, 20, 21 year old, 22 year old who's still, you know, out on, you know, they're, They've made a decision in and of themselves that, you know what, I, you know, I'm going to drink or whatever, but they're still coming home, let's say over college break to, you know, mom and dad's church or whatever. Isn't, isn't there an abuse there in the condemnation of what they're doing, even though there's nothing biblically wrong with what they're doing? Well, I mean, again, we say there's nothing biblically wrong with what they're doing. Um, I, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't see it on that level. I, I, I would like for that church to move to a point where they say, uh, we, we, you know, even if they never start allowing people to become elders or deacons or whatever, if they're known to drink socially, even if they never get to that point for them to say, oh yeah, when someone comes in the door and sits down, they're not going to have to endure, you know, some kind of condemnation for, for non, drunken drinking i'd like for them to get to that point but i i I don't know i mean like i i think if you were raised in that church and you come back home and you go to church and sit in the pew you know what you're gonna get and if your conscience is already so you know settled that i'm okay to do this then maybe it's maybe it's a, a helpful exercise for you to sit there and kind of mentally uh biblically answer these charges and, and think, yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've tested it and I really am sure that I'm okay to do this. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I have great sympathy for fundamentalists and it's growing because the, the very notion of we're sticking to our guns, even while the world mocks us, it's something that fundamentalists have been dealing with for decades and, all of Christianity is going to have to start doing just what the fundamentalists are doing and saying, go ahead and mock us. Don't care. We're not changing. Right. But I mean, isn't there a difference between like you keep talking about the, the fundamentals of our faith and the essentials of our faith and the non-essentials? I mean, should anybody really be walking into any church at any time and feel condemned for their actions if they are not, if they are not sinful, according to scripture, I mean, you talked, you know, you brought up the example of pornography. Well, we can sit here and we can talk about pornography being sinful, 
But there is huge debate on drinking, and nowhere does Scripture say that drinking is not being drunk, but drinking is sinful. In fact, we're told in Scripture that God gave man wine to make his heart glad, to make the heart merry. And so there are Scriptures that condone um, the alcohol, that show that it is a gift from God. And so anybody going into any church, whether it's on the issue of drinking, whether it's on the issue of watching a movie, whether it's on the issue of this, that, or the other, to be made to feel condemned isn't that abusive in a way. Well, I, there's increasing debate now about the pornography thing and, and the, you know, the, the funny play of saying, well, there's plenty of scriptures that, uh, you know, commend sexuality and the expression of it and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and we can see that those are built on shifting sand and aren't worth anything. Um, but, but you know, there, there's debate on all these things and the very nature of them being uh, non-essential secondary things upon which people, you know, disputable matters, as Paul calls them, means that people are going to find what they believe are biblical. I mean, they wouldn't hold a position that they thought went against the Bible, I would hope. And, and so... I mean, let me take it to another level. You've got uh, uh, here in in uh, Michigan, uh, recreational smoking of the Mary Jane is now legal. Um, I don't know that it's actually legal because it's federally illegal, and that's kind of where I go. Uh, but I have, on, on a couple of occasions, brought it up from the pulpit. Now, I do know a bunch of people who are Christians. Heck, I, I left a uh, reformed uh, cigar and pipe group. There are a gazillion of them, so you won't know which one I left. But I left one because they were all basically. Someone put a, a little poll out: uh, If would you would you do this if it was legal in your community? And like seventy percent of people were like, "Oh yeah, for sure." And I'm going, um, "Wait a minute, why?" And they said, "Well, there's nothing in scripture that condemns it." And I'm going, "Well, hold on. What about drunkenness? Well, no, you can have a few tokes, and you're not really, you know, you're not out of your mind. It's just like having a couple glasses of wine." I said, "You know, you, you can go through any number of different things." And, and so you're going to have people who are um, convinced from Scripture and reason and, and uh, you know, they would th- say the Holy Spirit that this is a sin and we need to be careful about it. And we need to, as the church, you know, speak up uh, and, and speak our conscience about it and, and, and uh, try and warn the, the culture against it. And you're going to have other people who are going to say, no, no, this is a matter of freedom. You know, if you want to sit back and... and Toke one, go ahead. Are, 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 who's abusive in that equation then? Well, I think to your point, I mean, you know, uh, and again, I haven't checked the laws, but I mean, you know, there, there comes down to a legality issue. You know, I mean, is it is it legal or not? At From that point, then you start having the discussion and the debate, but – but the question is, do you do you condemn someone because of it? Well, if you're preaching well, you're you not know? you're not running around condemning people anyway, right? You're you're saying this is a sin that needs to be repented of, and a Christian, uh, as they're sanctified, ought to want to do this thing less and less. Whether that thing is, you know, um, bragging, gossiping, lusting. Uh, hoarding uh, wealth or whatever, and, and so mm-hmm. there. At a certain point, man, if if you can only condemn sin 
in the terms exactly that scripture used, meaning, you know, you can't deviate from the script. You can only quote the passage. Um, there, there's very little relevance directly to our culture that you can even say. I mean, we have to leave some leeway for ministers to interpret these things and preach them where the rubber hits the road. And I mean, I, I, I think that a fundamentalist in a, in a really hardcore, um, you know, shouting, this is, this is wrong. That's wrong. You know, I think they're missing the point on, on a lot of what the law is for, but I also know people who call themselves fundamentalists who get the, you know, who understand grace at least as well as I do. And they would just say, I'm talking to Christians when I, when I, uh, you know, start preaching these new Testament epistles and I don't want to give them the impression that it's okay to go on sinning, uh, that grace may increase. Again, I'm, I'm just going to say, I, I leave it to the individual pastor to determine how to, how to bring these things to bear on his congregation. As long as at the end of the day, he's offering forgiveness in Jesus name by the blood of Christ for any sin we might commit. I, it's interesting because I think we're going to continue disagreeing. Yeah, I think so, man. <laughs> this this will be a good one to pull back out later if people think we're uh, in in too much compliance with. One now, another. now let me ask you this: What if what if Dutcher got up yeah. on a Sunday yeah. and not with alcohol because we know this guy is not going to do that, but with another topic? Um, I, I don't know. Say say it was. Uh, he he say he he started saying that to to learn a uh, uh, an art that would only be used to kill somebody, you know, it is you know if if you're learning uh, martial arts and 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 you learn things that are that are deadly, that that's completely out of keeping with the character of Christ. So now so now he's binding the conscience, quote unquote, in a way that that he thought was perfectly biblical. I mean, again, this is completely, I don't know what, I'm sure that this would be, but, but say, say this happened and, and, and you walked away going, man, I just, I, I'm not feeling it. I, I don't feel like he made the case biblically and I'm frankly going to go on doing this. Would it prompt you to leave the church or to consider leaving it? Or would you just go, eh, the guy's human and I think he missed the boat here. Uh, the latter. Okay, so I mean, with, so, with the drinking thing, yeah. can we can we just extend the same level of uh, you know? I mean, it- see, and and that's the thing is like, I think I think you're right. I think if if you're able to to do that in many cases, I think it's I think it's fine. I mean, first of all. This is difficult because, I mean, you know Greg and I have a, a relationship where I would go and talk to him, first of all. Second of all, I I don't see him doing that um, in, in in cases like that. Like I, And that's the thing is I've been more intentional about, about looking at his teaching and is he condemning something that isn't – isn't scripturally talked about. Like you're not condemning a sexual, you know, sexual immorality. You're not condemning greed. You're not condemning lust. You're not condemning um, gossip. You're not condemning, you know, things that, that scripture really 
digs into and has its claws in and are like, you need to be on the lookout for these things. Um, you know, and so I, I'm thinking like back to when I was growing up and I was in more of that conservative, um, hyper conservative, um, background. And, and in many cases I would have left the church in that case. Mm. Um, in some of those settings, because it was, you were very much looked at in those things like you were sinning. And so to constantly be being judged um, at the church for doing those things uh, would have, would have just, you know, I, I would have gone mad yeah. with it. Um, and so in those cases, I would have left. You would have left um, that church or you'd have left the church where, in general? Left uh-huh. that church, which, which I mean, in many I cases, I guess that church. is. I, so I let, let's bring it. Can I say two things? One, one, one to the. Sure. I, I would say, um, first of all, ah, crap. Where'd that go? It's floating around in the back of my head. I had one thing I was going to say. Da, 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 da. Nathan, what was it? I mentioned leaving uh, that church, and you said that. Yeah, church yeah. And then church. I had my second thing, but the first, eh, the first thing's gone, man. Um, oh here no no it's back i've got it i was gonna say this uh on facebook this very week a couple days ago i posted a thing that said christians colon do not let your children have snapchat with a link to an article about some horrid stuff that's on snapchat that you can't remove it's there for good and your kids are going to wind up seeing awful stuff now there is no 11th commandment that says thou shalt not use Snapchat. There is no um, passage for parents that says don't let your kids use Snapchat. But I made an emphatic and and not nuanced, just don't do this, knowing that there are people who, um, there are people for whom I am their pastor in their local church, and there are people all over the country who who hear what I say as a pastor and go, oh, I'm going to take that into great consideration. Um, and and mm-hmm. I didn't feel conflicted at all about it because there was a danger there. And I care about the, the people that I address when I, when I do this kind of thing. And so I went ahead and just said, don't do this. I know that they're not helpless to disagree. Um, and, and I think this gets into the, the real point, which is, in a situation where you feel like disagreeing uh, will get you marginalized, uh, censured, uh, condemned, and, and and that sort of thing, uh, voicing any dissent is you know dogpile time. That's I think where we've crossed the line into a spiritually abusive situation, and you ought to think about uh, finding the door, or a situation in which. You know, you feel like the grace of God has been yanked away. Like, like you're given all the, the laundry list of all the bad stuff you do. And you're so bad that God's grace isn't, it's not for people quite as bad as you. You got to clean it up a little bit. Stop doing X, Y, and Z first. Okay. Now we've got somebody trying to withhold grace. You know, we're, we're falling into medieval Roman Catholic error and it's time to, it's time to vamoose. But but if I'm sitting in a church, I mean, I, I've belonged to churches where 
you know, the, the heck at my church, I think it was only a year and a half ago where we changed the policy to, you can actually, if you have your wedding reception in the basement, have um, some sh- champagne and a toast. You know, there was just kind of the leftover assumption. This is not something Christians are going to do. Um, I, I don't know that leaving that there, um, having it, having it be part of the, um, kind of the, the stage setting here. You know what I mean? It's, it's there. It's in the background is one thing. It comes up once in a while in scripture. Yeah. Uh, and when drunkenness comes up, there's a little rant is one thing. Having it be every week and you're hearing more about how wicked these things are than you're hearing about the blood of Jesus. Okay. Now, now is when I say, yeah, I, I'm going to agree that we've crossed the line into abuse. And, and if you're going to church and what you're coming home with is more baggage holding you down and not, um, you know, receiving Christ through the word preached and read through the, bre- the bread and the cup, uh, then you need to stop and, and examine your, your heart and your conscience and your life. And if you determine you're not living in flagrant, unrepentant sin, but you're still getting that, if that's your takeaway, yeah, it's time to go. Because the, the function of the church for you as a Christian, if you are you know, not currently wandering away and backsliding, is not to pile on and make you feel bad for what you're doing wrong, especially not if it's in a, a disputable matter, but rather the point is for you to go there and receive Christ and receive forgiveness. Yeah. You want to hear something ironic? I think I can agree with you. Oh, boy. <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should stop when we're in agreement. <laughs> that just railed on for like 35 minutes. So why don't you, why don't you, why don't you give me your, your thoughts on that first? Yeah, no. And I think, I think that's uh, where I was trying to go with it. Uh, but just poorly getting there um, is the, you know, the idea of, I mean, of course you're going to have disagreements with people on things. I mean, Greg and I don't agree on everything that is talked about theologically. You and I don't agree about everything um, theologically, but the, the ability to have disagreements on those things and not feel condemned. And, you know, you brought up the whole Snapchat thing, but I also know you and I know that if you were, you know, to, you know, listen to people who are like, oh, yeah, well, I let my kids have Snapchat and they were to talk you through that. You're not going to sit there and be like, oh, well, I think you're a wicked, awful person for doing that. Um, you know, that that you realize that even as a pastor, even as an individual, you you feel, you know, these are these are things that you hold um Dear, and there are things that are um, wrapped up in your conscience, and of course, some of those things are going to come through. But at the same time, you also realize that there is freedom to be expressed within those things. That there is freedom in Christ, and that people are going to do likewise and exercise their conscience in those things. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing, like when, when Greg uh, had the big beef with KDY over the article about Christmas church. Uh, canceling right. church on Christmas Day when it was on a Sunday, his his beef was uh, you're you're imposing this on other churches, other pastors and elder boards and leaderships. Uh, church leaderships have done the praying, done the study, looked at their community, looked at everything, and and come to a conclusion. And and you're not involved, so back off. And right. in the same way, I think I mean there are 
There are monastic communities where you're not allowed to talk between the hours of 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Uh, I'm not going to say they're wrong for for doing that, even though that's an extra biblical rule. It's a it's a cultural value of that group. And as long as they're not like kidnapping people against their will into that group, go nuts with it. If there is a uh, you know you you've got places that are near, for example, an Indian casino. And lives are being ruined, both the people who are going to the casino and, um, you know, burning through all their money and, you know, people who are members of tribes that are that are being exploited in different ways. And maybe in that setting, uh, it's appropriate for them to rail against gambling for a long time. Heck, I never rail against gambling. I've been known to go to a casino and, and burn through just a little bit of money. I think it's kind of fun. It's, it's not right. specifically in scripture, but in a, a given setting or in a given community, it might not be because for the very reason I think that you think it shouldn't be spoken of, I'm not going to go in and say, hey, hey, you on that secondary issue, line up with me uh, or don't say anything at all. You know, it, they might be emphatic about don't go into that place. And right. and maybe in that setting, that's what that church needs in that moment. I'm I'm going to trust that pastor to know. And, and I think that we can you can see when it when it goes beyond you can you can yeah. feel when it goes beyond that. And it's not a concern for for the people. It's a it's a uh, vehicle for control of people's every aspect and detail of their lives. You can feel that. Right. And, and, you know, if you've got that going on, sure, get lost. And, and, and even if you're in a, in a church where, where their positions are overly specific and unbending, they're really, you know, when Doc and Devo did this uh, a whole thing once about, you know, when you're permitted to leave, you know, when to leave and how to leave and stuff. And, and I've heard a number of different uh, discussions on this. And I can tell you as a pastor who's had people leave my church, my main concern, if you're going to leave is the, the damage it's going to do to the soul of the leadership there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that's why I say, hold on, take your time. Uh, but this is the, again, an issue where in the scriptures, it was pretty, it was pretty foreign. I mean, if you're a Christian in, you know, Corinth, you probably attend church in the home of whoever lives closest to you who's a Christian. There's one quote unquote church in Corinth, right? And right. if you are under church discipline on the north end of town, you can't just show up on the south end of town. They're going to, they're going to say, no, go back right. to your, you know, figure that out. Um, and now right. in the, 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 we're in uncharted territory, man. So if, you know, th- consider what damage you're going to do to people leaving, consider what damage staying might be doing to you and seek God's face, seek wisdom, read the scriptures, mm-hmm. take things slow, and then just do what you think is best. That's my advice. Well, and I'll, I'll even throw out there too. Consider what damage you might do if you stay. I mean, if if you're not going to be content, uh, you know, in in an area, you know, let's just use the drinking for an example. If you're not going to be content in a church that is, you know, putting uh, putting drinking down constantly, and, and you're getting yourself frustrated, and you're trying to incite others to get frustrated and riled up. <laughs> 
then, you know, I mean, that's, that's also not good. And I would definitely acknowledge and admit that, that, you know, trying to incite others, um, is, is not a good thing either, you know? And so being aware of that and keeping, you know, keeping your eye on that as well. Yeah. I think it gets back to like just war principle there. You know, if, if you can stay in a church where, you know, even, even, uh, you know, real hardcore legalism is, is a foot and you think you can stay and you're called to stay and bring it around. If you have a chance at, at success, um, go for it, but you're not obligated to, you know, it's, it, yeah. it comes down to, um, I mean, and, and I guess it's kind of ironic that it comes down to conscience. <laughs> it comes down to a matter yeah. of, um, and, 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 you know, we, this is a discussion for another time, but I, I'd like to have it. It's the same thing with denominations. The denomination I belong mm-hmm. to uh, on the whole does not represent where I am theologically or my people. Where we are, the region we're in, and the leadership of the region, uh, the, the churches in Michigan, yes. But on the whole, it's very, very, very theologically liberal, and it's it's kind of uh, a, a disaster. So you come to each church saying, do we stay and try and uh, you know turn the giant ship around? Do we cut our losses and go? Do, does our whole region pull out at once and create another little uh, denomination or association like happened in California or what? And, and it's just, you, you gotta seek wisdom rather than saying one of these things is yes. right and one of them's wrong. I think that's fair enough. And, and I think you and I came to an agreement on this. Oh man, <laughs> dang it. Uh, so close. We should have ended 10 minutes earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this has been a this has been a good one. I've I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I you know I'm not afraid of disagreement. I I actually enjoy um, discussing these things with people. I enjoy du- discussing differing views and opinions. Um, and and so this has been a good one. I've enjoyed it. So Zach, this has been great. I think we're ready to sign off now. We just rocked the Casbah. These go to eleven.